Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Coach Carol, uh, who is uh, the CEO of Carol Media. And Coach Carol is a sales psychology and advertising strategy expert. He focused and, and helped a lot of people uh, achieve their business goal through social media and advertising strategy, obviously. Uh, he's an author, a speaker. Uh, and he travels the country motivating, inspiring, and training entrepreneurs in social media strategies and how to make the most of their advertising budget, which is very important, obviously. But also, Coach Carol is a real estate investor. And uh, so we're going to start with that. And uh, But Coach Carol, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Eric. Uh, yeah, you know, I've, while I spend most of my time in the business world being an entrepreneur, uh, I'm also a real estate investor. So I'm excited to be on the podcast, hopefully give the listeners uh, some some tips and tricks that they can take away uh, and use in their, what I consider their business, right? Uh, if you're an investor, you're in business, whether you want to be or not. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to be here on the podcast and really appreciate you having me. Yeah, and so my, my pleasure. It's a, it's a great uh, great honor to have you on the show. And uh, and the reason why I mentioned your real estate investment uh, career too is kind of like to really show that you know this is you understand kind of like the real estate investment business. And as you mentioned, this is something that is um, uh, you know when you get into that, you're in business. You're an entrepreneur. You, it's a it's a real mindset change from you know, where you, if you're a full-time employee into, uh, into an entrepreneur, into a business owner. So it's a little bit yeah. different, uh, quite a bit different, actually. Um, so, yeah, so tell us a little bit about your, uh, your real estate investment career, and then we can, uh, then we can take, take it from there. Yes, yeah, sounds good, man. Uh, so uh, I started my first business my senior year of high school. I bought my first piece of real estate when I was 21 years old. Uh, I was going to be a chemical engineer and decided my senior year of high school, uh, I bought uh, a Walmart weed eater, a Walmart push mower with uh, $100 I'd borrowed from my grandma, $100 I'd borrowed from my mom, and then $100 I'd saved up working three part-time jobs, a gas station, busing tables, and delivering pizzas, and said, hey, I'm going to go try this working for myself thing. And uh, here we are. I'm 33 now. Uh, I've sold and bought over a dozen businesses or currently hold, uh, you know, somewhere in the dozen business smart. And, uh, you know, like I said, I bought my first house when I was 21 years old. It was a two bedroom, one bath house that was absolutely appalling, had green shag carpet, drywall, uh, had holes in it. I think it had the original appliances for 1964 inside of this thing. And, uh, but it was the typical break into the real estate game where I was going to buy this thing. I was going to live in it as a single family property uh, for two years so that I could then sell it tax free. And we'll talk about some of those advantages later in the show. But, uh, you know, I, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this thing, build up that sweat equity, which is so important in the real estate game if you're just getting started. Uh, and, you know, when I was 21 years old, I didn't have a lot of money, but the, the money I did have saved up, uh, you know, I built this property up and lived there for a couple of years and then eventually refinanced it, moved out and turned it into a rental. And so, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of strategies you can use, but bought my first property when I was 21. Um, I bought my second house, I think when I was 25 and, uh, in the middle of there, I also did a couple of wholesale deals. One went really, really well. One I completely lost my ass on. Uh, and then I also uh, flipped a mobile uh, housing unit. You know, I do live in Kentucky. So uh, we've got some trailers here, some mobile homes. And uh, I wore my shoes today, those guys. Don't worry. I'm not yeah. really on you. You know, these trailer parks are everywhere. I mean, I'm in <laughs> California. Right, yeah. I mean, there's some in near San Francisco. People don't really know them until you're looking for trail trailer park uh, kind of uh uh, opportunities they're everywhere yeah. even in the yeah. best places anyway yeah, i interrupted right. keep going though. no no you're fine, you're fine so yeah so i you know i've while i've definitely built um you know my first business was a lawn and landscape business i grew that to three million in revenue and sold it um uh -huh. but again i've always stayed in touch with real estate because i've yet to find a mentor of mine and i've been seeking out mentors since i was 18 years old um i've yet to find a mentor that didn't have their hands in some form of real estate, 
meaning mm. you know they maybe they they flipped properties and had a construction crew on the side or all the way to the most removed which is something that i do which is syndicating deals to yeah. where you know they just put their money in and let somebody else run that so they can go play golf uh and not have to worry about leaky toilets or uh running appliances but mm. uh you know for me it's it's kind of been cool over the past decade and a half to to kind of see how real estate has changed um, you know, here in the Louisville market, uh, five or six years ago, I syndicated a deal. We bought um, about 60 units. I now have around 70 to 75, actually looking at a seven unit deal right now that we're going to put under contract this week. Um, and, and it's been crazy, the inflation over the past 24 months, 36, probably, yeah, I would say 36 months. You know, I was able to buy a house three or four years ago for $30,000 put another 10 to 15 in it, and then section eight, rent that out uh, for 750 to 850 a month. Really good returns, right? Less than mm -hmm. 50K in, you're getting 800 bucks a month on average back out of it. Pretty solid returns and it's guaranteed money. Eric, I got to tell you now, bro, now you, can, you can't find a house uh, for less than 50,000 with someone living in it. Wow. They're, they're paying 30 to $40,000 a house that are boarded up. And yeah. so uh, we've definitely seen the, the market kind of swing a little bit. I think there's a correction coming uh, in the next, you know, two to three years, not trying to play Nostradamus, but typically what you see is once the rates start going back up, the market cools down. I think we'll bring back a first time house buyer tax credit again. That's how I bought my first house. You know, the bank took my tax $8,000 tax credit and that's what they used as my down payment so I could get in it. So I think we'll see that, but you know, the real estate market never ends, right? Like there's never like people here crash and they're like, oh, it's the end of it. It's like, no, it's just cycles. It goes up for 10 years. It goes down for 10 years. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that pushed me to get into real estate, to stay into real estate, to continue to be in real estate uh, is the fact that, you know, those mentors of mine that I met that were worth millions of dollars, some of them were tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. They, no matter how big or small their business was, they always had their fingers in real estate, some form or fashion. And so, you know, we can talk about that a little bit more um, yeah. sure today, but uh, that's, that's what kind of drove me to get involved in it and what's kind of kept me involved uh, up to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think yeah, that's true. I mean, a, a lot of the mentors, a lot of the people like successful business people, uh, you know, all of them end up having to, if, and if they're going to diversify, if they have a successful business, if they have uh, uh, whatever they have going on, a successful career, they're making a lot of money, they want to diversify into, into real estate, uh, even in, in the stock market. You want to diversify in the real estate. And in fact, I mean, I, I, when I'm looking at it, if I had to start like with a blank sheet of paper, uh, you know, I talk to people about that too. So, okay, just start with a blank sheet of paper and imagine the best investment possible. I want to be able to put 20% of the money down but still have a control 100% of the asset. I want to be able to have receive passive income on a, on a regular basis. I want to be able to the, the, the thing to appreciate over time. I want to be able to uh, you know and, and get tax incredible tax benefits. Then. So when you put all that together, I mean, there's not that many investment. There's nothing on the stock market that's like that. There's nothing in uh, there's nothing like that. This is the the most uh, the the best investment. And when you look at the tax code, it's written for real estate investors. I mean, yeah, you know. So if you're not part of that, if you're not taking advantage of that, I mean, you're you're missing out. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. You know that, that's. I, I made a post on my Facebook, and you got the people that are listening. You can follow me. It's hashtag Coach Carol C A R R O L L. Any social media platform, just put that in a search bar, I'll pop up. Um, I made a post the other day. It was like, you know, the, the system's not fair. Learn to play in it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like there, you know, there's a, like we've 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 kind of become the society where we want to bitch and moan about how everything's not fair and everything's not, you know, equal. And it's like, okay, 
So then learn how to play in it. You know, yeah, uh, they, yeah. there's always, we always hear these, especially around election time, you always hear this talk about tax rates and they're like, Oh, is tax rates going up or going down? I'm like, look, I don't care what you make my tax rate. Just don't change the tax code. That's, that's <laughs> what I don't want affected. Uh, because uh, I actually got audited when I was 24. I hope the IRS is listening to this. I got audited when I was 24 years old. We, my businesses were still young. I only did like 480,000 in gross income that year. Uh, they audited me because I had like 40000 in other expenses. Um, after paying my attorney a couple thousand bucks, paying my CPA a couple thousand bucks for the day, you know, we went up there and they, I mean, my books are clean. I'm, I'm a solid business guy. I follow the rules. Uh, and, you know, they hit me with like $83 and, you know, uh, missed deductions or whatever it was. And, you know, I, I just would have, I wish they would have just came and tried to shake me down for a couple hundred bucks so I didn't have to deal with it, right? <laughs> exactly. uh, but but the tax code, you, you said this perfectly, Eric, that the tax code is written for people to be enterprising individuals. That's mm -hmm. what our country was founded upon, yeah. uh, was enterprising individuals. If you look at our forefathers, even George Washington, I mean, the guy had farms, he had businesses. There, There's not... Um, the, the whole ideology around work a 40 hour work week and get your paycheck and, you know, you got to give Uncle Sam, it's the rich dad, poor dad formula, right? It's like you get your paycheck, you get taxed, you get what's left over. A business owner gets to make money all year long, gets to spend money all year long. And then at the end of the year on April 15th, the tax guy shows up and says, hey, man, do you have anything left over for me? And nine times out of 10, I tell him no to kick rocks. You know, and, and then every couple of years, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw him a bone because you got to give him a little bit from time to time. But, uh, you know, for, for us with real estate, um, you know, I think that there's a huge advantage. You, you, you hit the that? nail on the head, man. You can take your income, proceeds, you can invest them into passive-ish type investments. Um, it, you know, the really, the only time, and I'll tell your listeners this, Eric, the only time you're really going to have truly passive investments in real estate is if you syndicate a deal, if you're truly an investor, which means you put, have you, have you talked about syndication on your show before? I'm not sure. Uh, so yeah, we did talk about, uh, some uh, syndication in the podcast before. So that was, uh, that was kind of, uh, that was very interesting. We have some of them that were actually promoters syndication. They had their own syndication deal that they were promoting and all of that and kind of explaining, um, uh, the process there. So. Okay. Well, that's to me, in, in my opinion, that's the only truly passive, you know, investing is when you invest that way, because typically, even if you invest in and hire a third party management company, you're still going to have to work with that management company. You're mm -hmm. still going to have to review profit and loss statements and see yeah. the performance of your property. But, um, you know, that, I think, uh, it, wrapping all all that that thought I got a little sidetracked there but uh you know I definitely think that real estate investing is something that people can do and that the tax code is certainly geared in a way that allows them to benefit from that uh and it's something that you know it's there for there for the taking I guess is probably yeah. the best way to say it well yeah exactly so that's that, that's what uh that, that's what I'm trying to you know convince people and, and I know it takes a little bit of an effort right like everything else like you know I have people come talking to me and say ah oh, you know uh I I want to pay less taxes and stuff like that well are you invested in real estate like oh no but that seems to but oh, what do you want to do like yeah if you're gonna have a w-2 this is what you're going to get W2, the income taxes paid at the source, all of that. If you want to reduce your taxes, you have to be in business. And if you want to, more importantly, if you want to increase your income, that's what you, you have to do. I mean, you're, if you work on a, as a full-time employee, I mean, you're basically dependent on the company saying, oh, you know, what a great job you've done. Here's a, a you know, 3% increase. And uh, here's a little bit uh, something else, you know, to help you along. But, you know, that's not going to get you to where you are. You want to be investing. You want to be, uh, and that this is where the benefits are. But it takes more effort. And not many people are not willing to take that, uh, that extra effort and learn how the system works. So, and uh, and also in my book, I talk about that as well because my parents used to look at it and say, and they would know we had some business people, obviously in my, my the small little town that I worked worked in, and my parents didn't know anything about business. And then they would see this guy that's just like, oh yeah, well this this store, his store went bankrupt, and he still has his car, he still has his house, 
he still goes on vacation. He, he's a crook. You know, it's just like, no, he took advantage of the system. He, he created an entity. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, earlier, it's, uh, the system is made for, for enterprising individual people that if you want to build a country, you want people that are going to take some risk and then you want to reward them. And uh, that's why the system is built the way it is. So, and I don't think we're planning on changing that. I think we want to move forward. We want to grow the country as far as I know. Hope not. <laughs> I hope they don't change it. That's, you know, that's, that's the problem that you have is that when you come in and you try to say that a system is corrupt and then, then by default, the people that have been successful in said system are now the villain. And yeah. when you say that, that the villain is only victorious because he took advantage of the, exactly. the people that weren't successful, now you're placing yourself as the hero. And that's a difficult person to argue with, right? Because yeah. now you're trying to, you're trying to defend yourself against someone that is the savior of the people that have been disadvantaged in the system. Yeah. And so hopefully yeah. uh, we, there's more people that have sense uh, in this country that, that knows that what we've, what we've been able to accomplish as a country is something amazing. And, you know, there, there's still, um, you know, thousands and thousands of people a month that are just dying to get in this country because they know that, yeah. that America is a great place to be. And, and we have the opportunity and real estate is, is one, one of the big pieces of that man is, you know, yeah. um, having the ability to make money off of rental properties or flip houses or wholesales. And that, cause that's the thing is like, there's, there's a ton of ways to make money. Uh, and then you get into the other like sub twos where, you know, you can get somebody's house, you can take over their mortgage, yeah. make their payment, they move out and then you rent it out to somebody else and you make the, the, the difference in the split. There's so many ways to make money with real yeah. estate. It's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. That's for sure. Um, so, but you made it, so you have, you know, you have obviously done a lot of wide, uh, I would say a wide range of uh, real estate investment and real estate activity. This is very good. Mm -hmm. And now you, you do a lot of, uh, on the social media, obviously that's what you're doing. Sales psychology, advertising strategy for social media. Yep. So is there something, um, that real estate investors like myself and like other people can leverage, uh, in their day-to-day -day business to help help grow what they're trying to do in real estate. Yeah, you know, one of the big things that I see are you know large property management companies when they take over three, four, and five hundred unit properties, they're still using antiquated systems like Apartments.com or ForRent.com, and they're not building their own brand. They're not building a brand for the property. Now, this is a little more difficult to do with individual homes uh, with single yeah. family, but when you have property scatter sites, for instance, you know, the seven uh, unit deal that I'm looking at right now here in Louisville, um, it's a, it's around a, a school that just had $40 million put into it. And so we think that this is going to be a new hub um, for tech and innovation for it's a K through 12 school. And so we plan on marketing. That's the kind of in our, our, um, outlook for this site as we're underwriting the deal, we think that there's a $200 per unit upside on the rents because we could market this as, you know, a, a, a unit that a single, you know, a, a single mom with, with a kid could move yeah. into and the kid could be within walking distance of one of the best schools in the neighborhood. And that's mm -hmm. how we plan to promote it on social in, in that way. And so what that does is now you create brand awareness, you can demand higher rents, the other thing is if you get away from, you know, on bigger properties like forrent.com or apartments.com, you know, those are closed loop systems. And so the, you're paying, you're stuck paying a monthly fee versus just mm -hmm. building a brand that is, you know, can be built off of word of mouth and social media so that people are like, wow, I want to live at this place because everyone writes great reviews. Everyone's, you know, they're having social media, event, they're having events that they can see on social media. Uh, there, yeah. There's definitely some power that you can use to brand that because I want to, I want to make this really clear to Eric, because there may be some business owners listening is like 20 years ago, there was only offline business. There was only the real world, right? Like I'm sitting in my house right now. This was real. Now we have this, we have this technology, yeah. we have this online world. So simultaneously, it's kind of like the matrix. Like there's a whole nother world that's happening online while everybody else lives their real life. And so 
as long as business owners, investors, they can wrap their head around that, that, that we ex essentially exist in two different places now, um, you know, it will change the way that they do business. It will change the way that they interact with their clients or customers uh, and honestly, the way that they build brands. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think so. That's very interesting about. Uh, so I do have apartment buildings uh, as well. And um, so I think, yeah, kind of branding them on social media. We actually haven't haven't really done that. I mean, we are using different portals and uh, like you mentioned, like uh, apartments.com and all of that. And we're relying also on our property map, have the property, have a page for the property, maybe even a website for the property itself yeah. to, uh, to basically, um, you know, kind of like promote and then get people there uh, to that apartment. Uh, the yeah, one of the thing, one of the time that where we used uh, social media was actually to attract some tenants, and then we just used Instagram and stuff like that, and showed pictures of the apartment. And this is in, Mem in Memphis, and it's just like, yeah, we got tons of people uh, that were interested. That we just like what this <laughs> what just happened? Uh, all of a sudden, you have like ten people that are interested in, in an apartment. It's just like it was phenomenal. Yeah. So I'll tell you too, with, when you create a brand, you instantly get to demand higher prices, right? Um, you know, the no name brand tennis shoe that sells at Walmart can only charge so much money. But when Nike attaches LeBron James to a tennis shoe, they now demand top dollar because there are two ginormous brands attached to that product they're selling still a tennis shoe but there's branding power and so i think that happens with you know with real estate um i think too often and we see this and this is why i love buying deals that are where there's market movement um you have the ability to increase these rents so do you think that uh, so let's say you have uh, you have an investor that has a small portfolio of single family rentals is there a way you think that uh, that you would recommend maybe to use social media to kind of like brand all these uh, that small portfolio under uh, one umbrella yeah so with single family um i think you have to brand your quote-unquote management company right um yeah. you know and and talk about how great you keep the units um one thing that i'm very proud of is the majority of of my portfolio is um you know government assisted housing so low-income housing rental assisted housing so uh, what we found is a lot of times our tenants um, suffer from not being very financially literate. And so we have an online course that we make available to all of our tenants. Um, you know, we don't charge really? for it. It's just something that's free that um, I've kind of done as a value add. Yeah, it, I'll tell you, Eric, it was one of those things where it was kind of my way of giving back. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to just get in real estate for the sole purpose. I don't really do any business for the sole purpose of making money. Uh, yeah. There always has to be a higher purpose for me to really be engaged and excited about it. Yeah. And so we made a financial literacy course that, you know, kind of teaches people um, about spending habits and things like that, because honestly, let's face it, you know, we, a lot of times there's this narrative painted that, you know, poor people are poor because they're disadvantaged. It's like, well, yes, true. Some, but some people are poor because they have bad spending yeah. habits. Some people are poor because they have addiction problems to like things like gambling. And yeah. so by making people aware um, that are in these situations where they're dependent on government assisted rent, it's our hope and goal that, you know, eventually they move up and out of our properties. You know, yeah. they, they find better jobs, they make more money, they can provide for their families and they get off of government assistance. Um, you know, so something something that I've always been told is, uh, you know, government assistance is not something where it's a place you're supposed to stay. You yeah. know, it's it's supposed to help you become more. And so, uh, you know, for the single family, I think if you can create a brand like that, something that you're known for community service events, things like that, um, then you're not only going to be able to attract renters more easily, but you're also going to have better relationship with your tenants because, at the end of the day, your tenants are your clients, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's yeah. like somewhere along the line, it got misconstrued that like, just because you own real estate, like, oh, you don't have to care about your renters. Like your renters are your clients. Like there's no other business. Like you don't go through a McDonald's drive through grab a cheeseburger, say, hey, you got my order wrong. And they go, well, we don't care. Next. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but but that's somehow is how real estate works. And I think it's because of the supply and demand curve, honestly, man. Um, you know, I think that there is not enough supply and there's so much demand that people don't have to run a business that way. But, um, you know, to me, I just 
I don't see why you would want to run one that way, but God God knows there's slumlords uh, in every city. So, um, you know, I just encourage people to try to think, think of your real estate investment company or your investments and, and think of, you know, how you could maybe do a little better for your community. Mm. So, yeah, so defining a brand would be good uh, around that, you know, that property management or stuff like that and say, Hey, this is, these are my properties and this is what we do and all of that. And then they can kind of like get into your, uh, into your portfolio somehow. Then if you're dealing with a property management company that does the actual admin, you just pass them on to, to them, I guess, to, to go and have the tenant visit the property or something like that and negotiate that final contract. Yeah, that kind of kind of makes sense. At least you control the the social media aspect of it, and then you can you can kind of leverage that. I wonder if you can have your property management company actually go into social media, into your social media page to to do that. I'm sure if you pay them enough money, you can have them do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things too that we did in, uh, but that was not social media. But when uh, when we uh, we started doing things in uh, in Memphis. Uh, at one point, we had all our pro- all our properties looked very similar, similar color and the outside. We also had like, uh, um, you know, with the shutters, uh, also a different color. Uh, and then so we would drive through the, the neighborhood and stuff like that. Oh, this used to be our house. This used to be our house. This is our house. Uh, you know, so that was kind of, that's kind of interesting. And also it helps. I mean, branding a little bit on um, in terms of um, people that want to rent rent the property. They can see that your property looks a little bit different, uh, and they look well maintained and all of that. So, so that helps Absolutely. you potentially attract some renters. For sure. Yeah. So, um, so this is uh, this is very good. Another thing too that you mentioned is uh, financial literacy. So, I, I want to touch on that because that's that's pretty that's pretty important to me as well. And this in my book, I mean, I try to actually uh, I talk about that. I spent spent about uh, a third of the book on basic financial literacy for people because I know that a lot of people are interested in real estate. Uh, they they may know that yeah, this is what I want to do. But how do I, I don't know anything about that. I know I get a house and I rent it, but how do I know which house to buy? How do I know that, uh, you know, how do I set it up as a business and all that kind of stuff? So, mm-hmm. so I talk, I'll talk about the structure. I talk about, you know, uh, protecting your asset and all of that, but also about financial literacy in terms of how do you ba- do basic uh, calculate, not necessarily calculation, because it's just like, plus and minuses for the most part. Um, but it's how do, you, how do you organize? I would say how do you organize your number in such a way that you can compare investment one with investment two? How do you know that your investment is, is successful or not? Um, so what are some of the, the key lessons that you, that you found that, that you're teaching in, uh, in financial literacy? Yeah. So uh, one of the biggest things is not to be afraid of credit. And so I talk about credit a lot of times in high school. So, you know, a lot of times high schools will bring me in to talk to seniors because, you know, my senior year of high school is when I decided I want to be an entrepreneur. I did. I actually turned down eight football scholarships and uh, I tried I tried college for about three semesters. Um, but my third semester, I wanted to take business finance. So that goes right into the financial literacy, right? I wanted to learn about business financials. And I remember sitting in my office and, and looking at Heather, which was my guidance counselor. And, and she said, DJ, I'm sorry, I can't let you take business finance. You don't, you don't have the prerequisites. And at the time, you know, I'm, I'm mildly dyslexic. Even to this day, I love audiobooks because my reading comprehension skills terrible. Um, but I said, I, I don't understand. What do you mean prerequisites? And she goes, well, you, you haven't taken the right classes to be able to take that class. I was like, okay, so what classes haven't I taken? She said, well, you haven't taken accounting. I was like, all right, that kind of makes sense. You kind of maybe need accounting to learn business finance. And then Eric, she told me I hadn't take history or rock and roll. I said, hold on a second. I hadn't take, I have to take history or rock and roll to be able to take business finance, <laughs> you know? And um, that, that was about the time that I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go try to figure this out on my own. And, um, you know, I, I, one of my very first mentors after I dropped out of college um, was Herb Kinman. He owned a, a Chevrolet dealership. He also owned, owned a Dodge dealership. 
and um, had tons of rental property. Was This dude was just always willing and dealing. He was in his 70s and still like full of piss and vinegar. And so I remember going in and talking to him one time and, you know, I was asking him about something. He said, well, just go get a loan. I was like, I don't want to get a loan. You know, there's going to be, I got to pay interest. And he said, let me, let me give you a tip, EJ. If you can find a deal that'll pay you 10, 15, 20, 25% returns, don't be greedy. I was like, I, Herb, I'm not following. I don't get this. What are you talking about? He said, if you can find you a deal paying you 10, 15, 20, 25% returns, don't be greedy let your banker make four or five or six percent on it. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, Eric, it was like, it was like an unlock in my head. I was like, that makes perfect sense. And so to this day, uh, you know, I'll use debt to buy revenue generating assets. And if it doesn't generate revenue, I don't own it. My house, I live in a 4,000 square foot house in a country club neighborhood. I rent. And people are like, you Me too. Rent? Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're like, they're like, you rent your home. I'm like, yes, you know, I, exactly. I rent where I live and I own what I can rent to others. And exactly. a lot of times people are like, Oh, that's a Cardone saying. I'm like, that's not a Cardone saying, dude, that's a real estate saying, go and yeah. go interview anybody that has anything to do with real estate. And they'll tell you if it depreciates, you know, and doesn't produce income, why in the world would you want to also pay interest on top of it? Yeah. And so I lease my vehicles. I actually lease them through my business. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of those things where now it's tax deductible. Uh, you have to realize, you know, my, my Escalade is a thousand dollars a month lease for me to lease that thing as an employee. I need to take a $2,000 paycheck because the government's mm -hmm. going to take half of it. And then yeah. I'll have the thousand dollars to spend Yeah. with doing it through the business. I make my money, I pay the thousand dollars and now it's tax deductible over my taxable income. Yeah. Um, so when, you know, when I talk about financial literacy, I think one of the biggest things is that people are afraid to use debt. They, they look at it like it's something that's dangerous, but you know, when we're in elementary school, what kind of fireworks do we get to play with? We get to play with sparklers, right? Those are the fun things. Our parents light them for us. We run around the yard. We're like, Oh my gosh, it's fun. You get into middle school, you know, maybe you get to light a little fountain or like the little tanks that run around on the ground. And then like when you get into high school or become an adult, then you get to play with like mortar shells and like the really cool shit. Credit's the same way, you know, but but we what happens is we we're told, you know, well, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And then boom, you go off to to college and your first interaction with credit is that Victoria's Secrets credit card or the Gap credit card that's 29% interest. And because you didn't, you weren't taught along the way how to how to uh, responsibly use it, yeah. you don't know what you're doing and then you get yourself in a mess. So I think that our school system fails, fails our people. Um, you know, I think that we should be talking about credit early on yeah. in life. I don't have kids, but when I eventually do have kids, they're not going to have one bicycle. They'll have two. They'll have one to ride and one to rent to their friends. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there is this, there's this, this, this ideology and it's not hard, man. Like I said, yeah. I don't, I don't consider myself a genius. I started a lawn care company. I'm not too smart, you know, it's, <laughs> but for me, I think when it comes to financial literacy, the, the real problem, Eric, and this might be what I'm about to tell you is it could be a little painful if you're listening to this. The reason most people don't jump into credit is because they don't believe in themselves. Yeah. And it's tough. They, they, they simply don't believe in themselves. And if I wouldn't have believed in myself my senior year of high school, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now because I had a chemistry teacher. I had a, 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 a guidance counselor trying to talk me out of doing anything except for being an entrepreneur. You know, when that, yeah. when that guidance counselor and that teacher should have said, DJ, if that's what you want to do, you want to be in business, let me pick this phone up and let me call the guy that owns a car dealership. Let me call the real estate agent in town. Let me find you a mentor that yeah. is a business owner. They did. And they said, no, 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 don't do that. You're throwing your life away, man. You got to go to college. Uh, and, and I just tell people you have to, in order to be successful in anything in life, you have to believe in yourself when no one else does. Yeah. Because if you can't believe in yourself when no one else does, how, how are you going to succeed? Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe that, maybe that's true. I think the other part also could be that uh, they're just afraid. They're just going to afraid that they're going to be, if that loan fails, then they're going to lose everything. 
you know, that yeah. everything is going to be, uh, and this is part of, you know, yeah, you have to set up the structure properly so that if something happened and you, for whatever reason, you can't, uh, it doesn't cash flow or, you know, something happens to the property and stuff like that. And somehow the bank wants the property back that you, you're not going to affect your personal life and your, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, go after your own asset. Of course, right. if you don't own your home and you're renting your home, then they're not going to go after your rent. <laughs> so it's, They don't want to start paying your rent. They don't want to pick, pick your lease payment up. <laughs> exactly. You take my rent. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think too, Eric, is the, the challenge with um, when, when people get in this mindset, fear is, fear is a very powerful thing. And when, when you're fearful, um, it has, it has the ability to paralyze you. Yeah. But what I want your people to understand that are listening to this is just because you start over doesn't mean yeah. you're starting from scratch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to say that one again, because somebody needs to write that one down. Just cause you're starting over doesn't mean you're starting from scratch. Uh, one of the biggest real estate fails that I ever had um, back in 2015, 2016, I bought a fitness center. And so uh, this guy, he, the branding was awful. He was losing money every month. He came to me, said, hey, would you be interested? So yeah, I think, I think there's something I can do here. So I bought the business, which was the goodwill of the business, meaning the logo, the name, everything, and, and the assets, the equipment. And then we did a owner financing contract on the real estate. So it was a half a million dollar piece of real estate. And so essentially we, I held the paper, right? I held the paper yeah. on, the, on the property. And so every month I would go to the bank and I would make his payment for him. And, and, and then I was able to possess the, the real estate. There's a difference in owning the real estate and possessing the real estate. You yeah. know, that you, I think you said something earlier, right? Putting 25% down, but still being in control of hundred percent of the asset. Yeah there's, there's some things, you know, there's some things that you start, when you start learning this business, you're like, wait a minute, you mean just cause I'm holding these 27 pages or 47 page packet, I'm, I'm in control now. You know, it's like, it's pretty crazy. But I was, so we had that, that gym and it was very successful. I mean, I grew at 300% 18 months. The problem was I had a real estate agent come in, told me that, you know, Hey, I've got a buyer. If you'd like to sell the building to us, I told him, Hey, no problem, but I need to make sure I can sell the business again. Right. I was going to split yeah. the deal, make about 50 grand on it. He said, yeah, yeah, DJ, we'll put all this, these exclusions and all these things in the contract. This was before I knew there's real estate agents and there's real estate attorneys You need both, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, because the real estate agent is just worried. And I'm sorry if there's agents listening to this, but y'all are just worried about getting that commission check. You don't care what happens. You're trying to push the deal across the line, no matter what. And that's what happened. I mean, he pushed the deal across the line. I ended up losing my gym as the business, had to liquidate wow. the assets. I had to give the real estate back to the guy who then sold the business. And, you know, I had a $26,000 loan that I had to carry and, and pay off. It took me like three years to pay that thing off. Luckily, knock on wood, uh, I've never defaulted on any banks. Uh, if, mm -hmm. I've ever if I've ever owed money to anyone, I've always paid that back. And that's something that I'm very proud to say, but uh, there are ways that you can walk away from properties. And, and I think you're exactly right, Eric. People are so fearful that if I buy this house and it doesn't work out, then I'm just going to lose everything. It's like, yeah. you're not going to lose everything. You know, you, nine times out of 10, you can sell it for what you paid for it because real yeah. estate appreciates. Also, while your renter's in there, they're going to be paying down the debt. Yeah. And then worst case scenario, if you have to sell it for a $10,000 loss, the bank, I promise you, the bank would much rather give you a $10,000 personal loan yeah. to make up the gap, to let you sell the property. They don't want your property. They, yeah. Like they, they're in the business of money, not assets. They don't, yeah. they don't want to take assets in. They, they want cash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's the thing too, that people think that uh, things are very uh, more set in stone. Like you think like contracts and all of that. No, you, you can negotiate anything. Like you negotiate things. You can negotiate. People think that some things are non-negotiable, but that's not true. I mean, even the banks, yeah. I mean, you can negotiate with your bank and say, hey, you know what? This, you know, I want this, yeah. I want that. But, when or I was you find losing, another when bank. I was losing the gym, uh, I actually went to the banker and I was like, hey man, just being on front with you guys, I'm not gonna leave you hanging, but I need like three or four months of no payments so I get myself back in yeah. order. 
They said, okay, no problem. Yeah. They, they would have much rather give me three, four, five, six. I probably could have got 12 months if I needed it, you know, for that debt to set on their books with no payments to then yeah. eventually it be paid off. Yeah. Uh, because if they, you also have to realize, and this is some financial like learning literacy, banks get in trouble if they charge off too much debt. Because mm -hmm. now when the feds come in and that, well, that's a whole nother ball game. We'll talk about that next time I'm on the <laughs> that's show. That's another but call. When the feds come in to regulate <laughs> the banks, if they see that they're writing a bunch of bad loans, yeah. the feds say, hey, you're not being good stewards of your money. You're doing bad underwriting on these deals. Yeah, that's right. you're, you're not allowed to lend money anymore. You know, that could flag. be the worst case scenario. Yeah. So the banks are very much negotiable. There are very few things uh, in this world that are that are non-negotiable. Exactly. Uh, even when it's written in a contract, nine times out of 10, there's still some negotiating. Yeah. That you may not get it. You may not get right. it, but you can always ask. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right. I mean, you can always write it up. But um, yeah, and, and it's, I know you mentioned earlier too, kind of like, you know, we, we're kind of all expecting a little bit of a market correction on the real estate and all of that. And we have, a, there's a lot, there are a lot of, uh, you know, people that see like a doomsday in real estate. And, uh, and my answer to that is that the current real estate situation is very different than what we've seen in 2008. 2008, we had a lot of people that received a loan that they should have never got into. Uh, and now we're the people that have loans now, they're, they're good people, they should the, the, the loan was underwritten properly. And uh, it's just a question of now negotiating with the bank within forbearance and say, hey, you know what, I can't pay for it or I haven't paid for three months and I, I need more time to pay and get and then they're going to they're going to figure something out and then get the loan back back up again. Uh, so I don't see like a major like foreclosure uh, issue here going on. And I think the government is not going to let that happen again. I think they've seen the damage that it's done in 2008. Um, and I don't think they want to go into that direction. The banks don't want to go in that direction either, mm -hmm. uh, especially now that they have they have good borrowers, I think. So I think yeah. it's just a question of getting them back on their feet and then they're going to continue to pay. Yeah, two, the two big problems I see are one with the, the rent memorandums. You know, um, one of my companies is a power washing and window cleaning company. We do tons of work in the multifamily space. So we're a member of the National Apartment Association. We'll actually be at the trade show in Chicago at the end of the month. Um, you know, the rent forbearance, I think, is a big piece, you know, yeah. that could really shake out. And I don't think so much of like foreclosures, but I think home, home, homelessness could really be a problem. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. and there and it's I know it's already a problem. And you guys are in California, right, Eric? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I know it's a problem there. Not so much in Kentucky, but you know, I think what's going to happen is we're going to have an issue when there's no there's not enough affordable housing. You mm -hmm. have people that haven't paid their rent that's at seven hundred a month. The landlord can now kick them out. They can't find a place for seven hundred a month because now everything's a thousand plus, yeah. and now they're living out of their car. Um, I actually heard a stat. I was listening to the um, the lady that runs HUD for the government the other day. She was in a Senate oversight uh, hearing in, on C-SPAN. She said there's a half a million people a night in the U.S. that are homeless. And mm. that blows my mind. I, I had no yeah. idea it was that big of a number. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things that, that kind of scares me from a real estate busting. The other thing that scares me is all of my real estate agent friends that I've talked to, they said that what's really been driving this crazy, insane market here in the past 12 months is the appraisers. So houses, you know, it's two parts. It's bad real estate agents that are in, are telling their people, hey, give above asking price, waive your right to an inspection, waive your right to any contingencies. We got to give them the best deal right out the mm -hmm. gate, which is yeah. to me is, is bad advice from an agent standpoint. Yeah. Uh, but then on the second side is that now you have appraisers that are coming in and houses that because they haven't had inspections on them. So the appraiser doesn't have an inspection to look at they're not seeing some of the bad stuff in this house. So a house that maybe should only be 350,000, they're appraising that at 400,000 now or mm -hmm. four and a quarter. Yeah. And so now you have some of that, that's where some of that inflation is coming from. And the only thing that I worry about is when interest rates start going back up, um, people that are in adjustable rate mortgages, if they have a house financed at 450, 500,000 bucks, and they're like, oh, I can make this payment at 2.6% interest. Yeah. Well, can you make that payment at 4.8% interest? 
when your adjustable rate mortgage updates in five years. Yeah, that's exactly. something that scares me a little bit kind of yeah. on, a, on a more long term, not necessarily in the next 12 to 18 months, but a, a 48 to 60 month cycle um, looking outwards. Yeah. And for me right now, I'm, I'm not investing in anything that's going to have an adjustable rate in the next five years. So yeah. uh, unless there is some significant caps uh, in terms of the how how much the interest rate can increase. Right. And then I say, okay, well, what's, and then I really spend some time on my spreadsheet and say, okay, well, let's say when we go there, it's at the max possible. Like, can I afford to have this house? Uh, so I always think, you know, and then you probably the same for a lot of our real estate investors too out there is you think about the exit. Okay. What, what are the, what are the different exits? What can go wrong? Even if you're holding it long-term, you want to kind of think about, okay, well, what if this happens, this happens, this happens. And then, um, and then you think about it that way. And so that it also helps you kind of like, in terms of risk, managing your risk, you kind of, you sleep better at night knowing that, oh yeah, if this happens, if the interest rate goes up, then it's no problem. I can, I can do this. And so, and I want everybody to pick up on the fact that you said you go back to your spreadsheet, which means yeah. you run the numbers. Exactly. That's the name of this game. Uh, yeah. You can't get yeah. caught up in the white picket fences or, or the, you know, the nice clean side and freshly poured sidewalks. You know, those are kind of the, the sprinkles, if you will, real estate comes down to running numbers, man. Yeah. And if the numbers make sense, it works. If they don't walk away, it's as yeah. simple as that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, uh, and then we talk about, uh, I mean, we're kind of running out of time here. Um, so, but there was so much Sorry, more. I'm, that, I'm known uh, to go, go long on about. podcast, man. I get excited. I'm just excited to be here with you guys. <laughs> but it's a great conversation. I mean, I'm happy to have you back, uh, you know, later as well to uh, continue our conversation and uh, do a little bit bigger, bigger, deeper dive on some of these topics, especially the financing. I think, I mean, leveraging for me is, is critical uh, with, uh, you know, and I know that and maybe that's the last topic we're going to talk about. Okay. Leveraging is important. Like credit is important. You want to be, obviously be careful about credit. You want credit. You want to make sure that it's aligned with your business objective and the timeline as well. So if you're planning to hold something long-term, you know, maybe don't get into a five-year bridge loan and then have, and having the unknown of having to refinance five years down the road at what interest rate, at what at what value and that kind of stuff. So, you know, you have to ha align your, uh, your credit with, uh, with the usability of the investment that you're doing, blah, blah, blah. But the advent, the big advantage of leveraging, obviously, is that it really increases your you put less money down on the deal. And then yes, you reduce the net cash flow. But in most cases, if I look at uh, my investments, my return, my cash on cash return significantly increases with uh, with leveraging. So as soon as I do leveraging, you know, my, my return on the money that I put down is, is increased dramatically. So it's always a good thing to, uh, to, to use leverage. And then the other thing too, is that the rest of the money you can invest similarly in other passion, in other uh, fashion, in other investments. And then your net cash flow is also going to increase as well. If you invest the rest of the, the money instead of uh, using leveraging. So that's, that's the advantage. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I like uh, keeping keeping as much cash in my pocket as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, the other the other side too. something that a lot of people don't realize is that if you know, if you ha if you say you can afford to put 50% down, um, you know, and again, this is going to be dependent on the market and the property. That's like always the asterisk on every real estate deal is dependent upon the market and the property. But, you know, say you can afford to put 50% down, we'll do easy numbers, a hundred thousand dollar property, and you can put 50,000 down. Well, you would be better off putting $25,000 down and then either buying another property, yeah. $25,000 down. Now you've got two properties or where a lot of people make a lot of money that I've seen in this business is, they'll put the 25,000 down and then they'll go inject the 25, the other 25 into the property, mm. meaning they rip out bathrooms and update those. They rip out kitchens and update those. They, they do new siding, they do new roofing, they do new HVAC. And so now the value of your property is increased. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, some of our units that we bought were, I mean, they were 9,000 bucks, 
12,000 bucks. I mean, they're trashed. Yeah. Then we had the cash to go in and put in on those. Yeah. Um, you know, we bought these in a package deal. So they're individual units, but I think anytime that you can use leverage, it's a great idea. I, I really, I don't see it so much. There's not so much hesitancy in real estate because I mean, let's face it, it's big money, right? You can get yeah. into millions of dollars. You almost have to use leverage. I see mm -hmm. it more in like small businesses to where, you know, like my power washing window cleaning uh, company, you know, I've got a certification course. So like I tell guys, I'm like, you know, you need a $10,000 uh, rig to really do this, this business professionally go get a bank loan. It's going to, they'll put it on five years. Your payment will be like 200 bucks a month. They're like yeah. you do one house wash a month and you can pay your note. Yeah. But they're like, Oh no, I don't want to do that. I'd rather take yeah. every last dollar I have in the bank. That's only a thousand bucks and go buy and try to piecemeal this together. And so yeah. sometimes leverage in business can also put you light years ahead of the yeah. learning curve and also put you in a better position. Um, I would, I would urge people go on Google and look at what the debt service and the debt load is that Walmart carries. Mm -hmm. Once I saw how much debt that Walmart carried and they're the largest corporation in the world, that's when I was like, okay, yeah. debt's clearly not bad. Dave Ramsey <laughs> doesn't know what the hell he's talking about because Walmart's doing it right. And I mean, you know, that's last time I checked, and this was a couple of years ago, I mean, it was like two to three times what they make in a year. Like, I mean, they're super over, you know, by the books over leveraged, but you know, they make it yeah. work. And yeah. uh, when you, when you, especially in the short term, you know, like if you, if you think that you're going to buy a property, rent it for five years, and you're just looking for the cash flow, you can do interest only notes or owner financing. It doesn't, you know, uh, leverage doesn't necessarily only have to come from the bank. Sometimes yeah. you can leverage another person. Yeah. You can say, Hey man, you carry this debt. If you really need to get out of this deal, I can make it work, but you're going to have to carry the paper on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's yeah, a yeah, lot of different right. ways to quote unquote leverage, but uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the easiest ways to springboard yourself and your net worth, mm -hmm. um, you know, compared to just trying to do it by good old hard work, determination and paying cash. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Th uh, Coach Carroll. Yeah, well said. <laughs> Great conversation. Appreciate I'm sorry it, we have to cut this uh, amazing discussion uh, off. But uh, again, so, uh, you know, uh, as you can see, uh, Coach Carroll has a breath, a wide breadth of experience in real estate. So he really understands uh, our business. And on top of that, obviously, Coach Carroll does, uh, you know, coaching and uh, social media and helps you with advertising strategy. So feel free to um, to connect with him. I'll have obviously the uh, the information in the show notes. Also, um, Coach Carroll has the, the financial literacy uh, link. I don't have that link, so maybe um, you can send that to me and I'll put that in the show note as well. So I yeah. think this is financial literacy is something that's very important to me. Um, so I spend a lot of time uh, trying to uh, help people do that. So I really appreciate that you uh, you put this together, this package together. And um, yeah, so anything anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? No, you're, I appreciate it, man. You're a stand-up guy. I really appreciate what you're doing for the real estate community. I know it's uh, helpful. And if you guys, if you're just listening, if this is the first podcast you've caught, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Um, you know, there's a lot of great stuff you can learn from it. And then, you know, let's connect on social media. You can find me. I'm on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I drop three videos a week on YouTube. So uh, just again, any, any of those platforms, go to the search bar, type in hashtag coach Carol, two R's, two L's, all one word. Uh, and let's link up, send me a message. Let me know what you thought of the show. Great. Thank you, coach Carol. Cool. Talk Thanks, to you later. Man. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.